All right, everyone, thank you for your time. I hope um, the technology worked out well for everyone and you were able to join this without too much trouble. Uh, thanks for taking the time. We're probably gonna spend about a half hour trying to walk you through the first quarter of 2021 and what the outlook is from here. Um, I have done these calls now for a year or webinars for a year. They started much more frequently. Geez, it was almost every two weeks a year ago. And as the world has returned to somewhat degree of normalcy, I've started to stretch them out. So I think the, the less I'm doing these, the better it is for, for markets and probably for all of our return to normal. Speaking of return to normal, I, I've always talked about how things are at Bernstein for just a quick minute or two, where we stand from a return to work perspective, because I think it's interesting for, for you as clients or professionals we work with to have a feel for where we are, what our return to work is, and, and also just more broadly, what we're hearing um, about return to work across the nation and in New York. So we are still uh, effectively 100% remote. There is a small skeletal staff in headquarters in New York who you know get the checks, do the mail, or there for regulatory reasons, but, but mine and Amanda's team is still all on Zoom and working remotely. And as you know, we've been doing this for a year. I think it's it's almost going to be more hard to transition back than it is to work remotely. Along those lines, our expectation is that starting July, there will be a slow crawl back into the office with the hope that you know Labor Day, kind of September, October, we're, we're back to normal. That will depend on all of the things you would anticipate. It would depend on schools, vaccine, case counts. I don't think there's anything unique about that. Um, it will be different for Bernstein in different parts of the country. So for those of you who are on this call that are in different parts of the country, um, it may be that the Bernstein office in LA or in San Francisco or in Chicago or overseas is at a different return to work schedule than New York is. Um, but I, I think we're all at the place where, you know, we're comfortable in the virtual world working and also in person. Uh, the follow-up question is often then, well, when are we going to start to do meetings again? And the honest answer is, I don't know the answer to that. The office is only going to be open at that point to employees who are kind of pre-cleared to get back into the office. That's where we are today. I, I think it's a long way away before we're doing, you know, client meetings in the office or or client larger gatherings. But I think that's all to be determined. And the best laid plans all go by the wayside. We know with uh, the last year and, and with the virus. So I, I don't know what that expectation is, but I think you know we're going to slowly return to somewhat of a normal as we get through the summer. Um, I have been in Midtown Manhattan. I don't know for those of you who haven't been or haven't commuted into New York or who are not here at all, I will tell you Midtown Manhattan is still a ghost town. It, it, it is bizarre. It gives you a feel about what occupancy rates are in the city and what the impact's gonna be on commercial real estate. Um, we did a podcast at the end of last year with some people in that industry talking about how they see real estate, both from a residential and commercial perspective. So if that's a, an interest to you, in particular, New York and suburban real estate, reach out to Amanda and I, and we can, we can set you up with that podcast. So with that as a backdrop, I'm going to start off, as I always do, with, with this very fancy and beautiful COVID-19 scorecard that we've just continued to build out. And you know, I've said this a bunch of times, so I'm going to spend a few minutes on this chart, but not every line of it. I think you can forecast or at least find your place in the market by scoring it very simply. How are we doing from a health perspective? How's the economy doing? What's the policy? 
And, and my fancy scorecard says things can be neutral. They can be slightly negative, which is one negative on the chart. They can be really bad. That's double negatives, like February and March of last year. Now, over a year ago, the health situation was terrible. I scored that two negatives. The economy was in free fall and closing, double negative. And there was no policy response, both fiscal or monetarily. And we were in a perfectly bad score of negative six. And markets were just creating, cratering through February and March. And, and we've obviously progressed from there. And, and I'll take you to the bottom of the chart. You can look at this on your own. You can look at it when we send out the webinar afterwards and, and, and see different moments in time. But I think the two to focus are on post-election and now 2021. Post-election, that's right when we got the vaccine. So it's not about the election, but the health data was scary because we were in another surge, but we got the vaccine. So I had a negative and a positive. The economy was sort of flat at that point. We didn't really know where it was going. Policy, clearly from both a fiscal and monetary policy perspective. So that's like, is Congress printing money and what's the Fed doing? They, they were both all in and helping. And so the score had progressed to a, a high of two and the market impact was, and you remember then post-election with the vaccine, everyone's thinking about 2021. Well, well, where are we now? I think we're gonna be here for a while. From a health perspective, I'm, I'm scoring it a, a single positive. The vaccine obviously is a positive in any in any sort of global sense. The case counts, I, I'm putting this as basically a flat question mark. I mean, I, and I'll, I'll take you through some data here later. Um, they're not perfect, right? So I don't wanna score it uh, a positive, but I also don't think it's a negative, especially when you think about where we have been. So I'm just calling it a one positive. The economy is definitely good. I'm, I'm going to talk more about that in following charts. So, so more to come there, but I'm not giving it a double positive, which, which may surprise you because I'm going to show you GDP and growth numbers that are off the chart. The market's been doing great. So you might say, Mark, I disagree. Why isn't it two positives? Because I think the question is, when we think about the economy, not just in 2021, but in a return to normal return, like initial boom, where are we? So I'm giving it a, a plus and then a, we don't know. And policy, I mean, anywhere you look, someone's trying to print money. And so I would say policy is two positives. And when you got the market score at a four, not surprisingly, you're in a rally. And so to, to give you a feel for the, the efficacy of this, this scorecard, I mean, I, I know we, we can often get caught up in our jobs on Wall Street, or if you watch you know, CNBC or, or Bloomberg, thinking about what's trading where today. And, and I'm not saying we don't do that, but I think sometimes it's better to just take a big, broad, simple perspective and not get lost in the weeds. And if you look at that recovery scoreboard on the top, which all I'm doing is taking the scores from the prior chart and plotting them. So you start January of 2020 as a zero, nothing's happened. You collapse to a negative six, and then I just score each point forward, right? And today we're as high as we've been in that 15 month period. And then right below it, you show the S&P 500 chart. And those charts look eerily similar. And again, I'm not cherry picking the data. I'm not trying to make the top chart look like the bottom chart. But I think if you just think of it in those broad strokes, it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, the S&P 500 chart has periods of little drops, right? You can find spots here where the market goes down. That's not to say the market isn't without controversy. That's not to say the market isn't without sell-offs. But it is to say that if you can get through that week, that month, the turmoil of the day, and even just stretch your time horizon out to a month, let alone a quarter, 
you start to see some real patterns there. And, and I think those patterns, again, are all based on that simple recovery scorecard. What's the health story? What's the economic story? What's the policy response? If any of those change going forward, and I'll talk to you about how we think they may or may not, the market impact's gonna be different. And, and when any of those things become in question, right, that becomes a controversy in the market. What's gonna happen with X? What's gonna happen with the economy? What's gonna happen with inflation? What happens because of the J&J &J vaccine? What happens if there's this, any of those questions get highlighted in a period of what I would call market tension, that's when markets often sell off and then the ship gets righted. Okay. So what have you heard from me and Bernstein through this crazy 15 month period? And I think first thing is the blue line chart. The blue line chart is, is the market, but it's not exactly the market. It's a 60 stock, 40 bond portfolio. So look, I, I could pick any asset allocation. Most of the people on this call will have some allocation to bonds. So I'm using a quote unquote balanced portfolio of 60% stock, 40% bonds as my proxy. You start December of last year, you have a dollar in your pocket, just whatever you had, you had. So I'm using a dollar on the chart. And all of a sudden, as you know, the coronavirus crisis emerges in February and March, and that portfolio goes from a dollar to just under 80 cents. So a portfolio with even 40% in bonds is down more than 20, close to 25% in a matter of weeks. That is really scary. That looks a lot more acute than the great financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Um, not that that wasn't as bad, it was, but it, it took months for that to happen. This basically happens in two weeks. And what we overlaid on that chart is, what were you hearing from us during that period of time. And I think it's important to just think back on it because you got to remember how you felt during that period of time. I think a lot of it was fear, fear for your own safety, fear for your family, fear for your finances. And on February 28th, our quote is the most damaging decision would be to meaningfully readjust your portfolio at a time like this. March 12th, we urge you to stick with your long-term asset allocation. March 13th, small businesses in certain industries will likely return to trend once the virus recedes. That's as the US is declaring a national emergency, okay? And so what we do on this chart is we say, when the US declared a national emergency in mid-March, if you said, forget it, I've heard what you've said for the last few weeks, Bernstein, but I had a dollar, I'm now down to you know 88 cents, I'm down 12% in two weeks with 40% in bonds, I'm out, I'm going to cash. You froze your losses at 88 cents on the dollar, right? So you're, you're excuse me, your loss at 12 cents on the dollar you're left with 88% of what you started with. And you'd have that today if you didn't get back into the market. On March 22nd, remember markets are down even more. So you might feel good. You say, God, I went to cash. Thank God I didn't listen to them because my 88 cents would now be under 80. We remain confident in the credit worthiness of our bond holdings. Significant dislocations in the bond market create an opportunity for us as active managers. Remember now, this is the point where people are saying, not only are companies going bankrupt, but municipal bonds and municipalities are all about to declare bankruptcy or will in the not too distant future. Right around then, the fiscal and monetary policy comes along. What we talk about on, the the, on those prior slides, we get some pluses on the chart and the market snaps back fast. And on March 31st, we're saying with a severe downturn already priced in, we think we're close to the bottom. For clients with cash to invest and a time horizon, today may present a great opportunity. That obviously looks really smart 12 months later, but even think about in August of this past year, late the summer, when there was still this question of, 
well, okay, maybe we're through the worst of it, but what's the vaccine timeline? How do we get to the other side of this? Our healthcare team was talking about there may be early, there may be issues early on with distribution, but by the first quarter of 2021, we should see a vaccine that's available to everybody. I think it was today is the day where vaccines um, for anyone 16 and over, I think the CDC announced, is, is now available across the country. So, you know, today's April 19th, and we thought that would be by the end of the first quarter. And I, I think back then that sounded crazy, right? And so that client who just rode through that advice and had to go through a very difficult period of time and sort of grit their teeth and bear it, their dollar is now a dollar sixteen in the balance portfolio. And I think that would have been stunning to them on March 22nd when it felt like everything was collapsing. Uh, my point is, if you have time and you can get some perspective, time heals all wounds in, in investing markets. And, and as long as you're not over allocated to stock, I mean, this is going to be one of the things I'm, I, I'm starting to be worried about for, I really haven't seen it in my clients, but I, I'm worried that it may be coming, is that clients start to say, you know, I don't see anything so terrible on the horizon. And Mark, you're not telling me about all these terrible things on the horizon. Let's take more risk with my portfolio. Let's take all my cash and buy stock. Let's take me from 60, 40 up to 80, 20 stock. I am a conservative investor at 30 stock. I want to go up to 50 or 60. And I worry about that because if it's more risk than you're really prepared to take on, and we have another one of these periods, and we will, it probably won't be because of the coronavirus, it'll be because of something else we don't know about yet today. You're more likely to go to cash because you've taken on more risk than you can handle. And so I, I, I want to be really thoughtful with clients about making sure that even if they're getting back into this market, or they're putting more cash to work because they've saved over the last year. There, there's a lot of data about American savings rates that they're not overextending themselves because that's where people can get hurt when they take on too much risk and then they get hit. Okay, so let's get into the weeds here a bit. On the economic impact from COVID, is that really in the rear view mirror? And, and our view is, and I'm gonna frame a few of these with these big black and white pages, the darkest days have come and gone, but recovery is still needed. I don't think that would surprise you. Um, on the vaccine front, in our last webinar, we talked about what we thought would be case counts. I don't want to say becoming negligible, but becoming very low by about Memorial Day. When I said that in January, I'm sure there were people who listened here who thought, I don't know what AB's healthcare team is thinking. We're a long way away from that. But we charted for you what the distribution would be of the Pfizer vaccine, the Moderna, J&J, &J, Novavox, AstraZeneca, and it felt really realistic that if people were getting vaccinated, that this summer would be a period of time where you know, we could start to get back to normal. Our forecast now is that by July 4th, 90% of the adult US population would be vaccinated. That's 225 of the 250 million adults. Um, key word there, could be vaccinated. There is obviously a question as to whether or not they will be vaccinated. Um, but but our analysis is on what's the availability of people to get shots in their arms. And you can see in the green, case counts have come down. Case counts have, have come down, just like confirmed seven-day average cases have come down in the purple. And in the blue, the doses administered. Those lines should continue to be inversely proportional. And that's a good thing, right? The, the more shots in arms, the less cases. That all said, and this is talking about economic recovery, you have seen over the last 
few months, even last week, really good data about um, payrolls, simple term, people going back to work, right? And some of the numbers in terms of hiring, and we've seen numbers in the 500K to a million jobs per month, sound amazing. And to be fair, they are, but we wanna give that some perspective. So this chart is about, think about it, everyone working, right? It's US employees on non-form payrolls, okay. The big numbers on your left, December, January, February, March, are all pre-pandemic. The chart collapses in April. I mean, it's just a, a scary amount of job loss. Now we're, we're adding 500 to a million jobs per month. Great number. That said, we won't get back to where we were prior to the pandemic, which was at full employment. Unemployment rates were really low. This country was working. It's gonna take us, if we keep putting up 500K to a million jobs a month, which again, sounds amazing, it's still gonna take us to the end of this year to get back to where we were prior to the pandemic. So we're making a lot of headway, we're going in the right direction, but it's gonna take some time to get there. Okay. The other question I often get is, market's up a lot. It's up 78% off its bottom. Now look, a lot of that was just a recovery of loss, but, question is, what now? What's left to drive the market higher from here? I think the answer is, is, is pretty intuitive. It's pent up demand, which is to say all the stuff you haven't done for the last year, the vacations you haven't taken, the things you haven't bought, the out to dinners, the clothes, wh whatever, the things you spend your money on, you likely haven't over the last 12 months. Now it is true some spending has been redirected and, and I've talked about that in the past to, to, towards the home, right? Whether that was home furnishings or um, construction projects, do-it-yourself projects, whether it was the Peloton phenomenon, but total spending, there's a lot of demand pent up. I'm sure a lot of you feel that on, on this call. If, if I could magically say, there's no coronavirus tomorrow, there's no risk, it's all over, goodbye. I think a lot of people would go out there and do some stuff and doing some stuff costs money. So there's a large pent up demand and there's a lot of fiscal stimulus, which is to say that the government has printed money and given checks to people and businesses, neither good nor bad, it's just true, right? And Americans have saved money. So Americans have a lot of cash available to use. And they probably want to because they haven't been able to to the degree they wanted to over the last 12 months. So if people go out and spend more money than they had prior to the pandemic, and they really want to, right? The demand is there. That's going to make businesses more profitable. In, in our world on Wall Street, we call it earnings growth. But you could think of it as, you know, your local restaurant, right? But if it's, you know, not your local restaurant, but it's Starbucks or it's... Um, you know, one of the large McDonald's, whoever, or a large dining chain, same idea, right? If, if they're feeding people, their earnings growth is gonna be up. So what's the backdrop for that? And I'm showing on this chart, our forecast and what happened last year, and then our forecast for 2021 as of December, just a few months ago, and how we've changed it to now, three months later. So US GDP, this is just, you know, how, how was the economy last year? It was negative three and a half percent. That's a terrible number. 
2021, we thought would be plus three and a half percent. Last time you saw this chart for me, that's where we were. Now we think it's six and a half percent. That is a sky high number. That's, you know, pre-pandemic, I'm stretching it a bit here, like Chinese growth rates that you would have seen, you know, five or 10 years ago out of China. Global GDP is not going to be negative. We thought it would be 4.7. Now we think it's going to be 5.9. Um, treasury rates are going to be higher. We'll talk more about that. Inflation, talk more about that, but that's not a scary number. You know, the backdrop for the market, like how the table's set, looks pretty good, right? You've got fiscal stimulus, um, lots of money out there, economies reopening, COVID cases going down. All of this looks great. The challenge in all of this is going to be kind of what's real and what's temporary. What is the terminal here on TV is durable. It's really what to say is what's like an initial shot into the economy where everyone goes out and travels or everyone goes to a restaurant or everyone goes to a ball game versus what's it going to look like post that a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. And the challenge in all of the data that you're going to look at, and frankly, that I'm going to show you is that what we do on Wall Street is we do comparisons of last year versus this year. And it's kind of a little crazy because remember last year we had an economy that was literally closed for the most part. So comparing anything versus that is gonna look amazing. When you start to compare it to 2019, two years ago, or 2021 versus what 2022 is gonna look like, like normal versus normal, how much better are things or how much better are things than what they would have been if there were no coronavirus? That's really the question. Not like how much better are we versus last year? I think it's pretty intuitive. Things are a lot better than they were 12 months ago. A few data points to show that. Um, economic opening continues. You know this, I talked about this in one of the, the prior um, webinars, how we're using real-time data and like um, big data algorithms to understand what people are doing and and how they're moving and where they're spending. So I think these are three ones that all intuitively will make sense to you. Total TSA travel numbers, obviously they collapsed last year. I mean, you've heard me say this a number of times, the drops on these charts in February, March, April of 2020, you know, a hundred years from now will look like misprints on the screen because they just don't make any sense, right? You're gonna have to have the context of, oh, right, it was a pandemic because total travelers completely collapsed. It's, it's bounced around, but those numbers are coming back. They're not at pre-pandemic heights, but they're improving. Um, you can hear this in any of the you know, mass media channels. Domestic travel, much better than international. And um, some of the large domestic airlines are thinking about the types of planes they use that they would typically use to fly to Europe or fly to Asia, you know, big ones. They're now thinking, maybe I use those domestically because there's gonna be so much demand for domestic travel and there may not be for international because of restrictions. Maybe I just open up a whole bunch more seats on a flight from New York to LA or San Francisco to Boston or Chicago to Miami by putting, you know, a, 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 not an A380, but put some big planes out there to get as many people as I can traveling and sell as many seats as I can. On the top right, change in requests for Apple map directions. I don't think this surprised you. No one was walking, driving or taking mass transit 12 months ago. Walking and driving have obviously come back. Transit's the one that's lacked. It's come back a bit, but it's still got a long way to go from versus where it was 12 months ago. And dining, whether it's indoor or outdoor, you can see it was down 100%. 
down 100% in March, April, May of last year. It's come back in fits and starts, but clearly the trajectory on the line is good. Okay. And so what does that mean in the stock market? I used the term earlier, earnings growth. It's all about you know, how profitable are these companies? What kind of earnings growth are they providing to you shareholders of it? And so you, know, you see in the bottom off a depressed 2020 earnings base, growth should be about 20% per year through 2020. Um, earnings growth, earnings per share was 160 in 2019. It fell to 139 in 2020. You can see now our estimate has it at 174. High end estimates have it over 200. And we're back at 200 in 2022. Okay. But 2021 is just going to get us ahead of where we were in 2019, just to give it some context. But I do think it's important also to note that if you work in or have friends in any of the industries that are ground zero of the coronavirus, right? It's really bad. And unfortunately, I think those are a lot of the ones that we regularly interact with restaurants, um, hotels, retail, arts, entertainment, recreation, sightseeing. Those are a lot of things that, that resonate with us as people, right? I don't think we like connect so much to our grocery store as we do these things. These industries, it's, it's really been terrible. I mean, it's improved, but it's really been terrible. But it's important to note that they are a small portion of the economy. We, I think most of us in our mind think they're a bigger slice of the economy than they are. They make up 10% roughly and all under all other industries are 90% of the economy. Okay. So where are the worries? What, what are my hearing on the phone? What are conversations we're having? What do you see in the press? Um, I think it's inflation, interest rates, taxes, all could go up. And how worried should you be? And our answer is, they're unlikely to, to ruin the prior story I described for the foreseeable future. Um, I, I don't think these three things are going to be the reason markets are off 20% if they're off 20%. I think the reason markets will be off 20% is the thing we don't know, right? And it, it, think of it almost like the coronavirus. Um, when we talked the start of 2020, for a number of clients, we took some risk off the table because we'd come off an amazing 2019. And, there, and the concerns were about China and 2020 being an election year and having such a run-up in the market. For some of our clients, we took money off the table. And it looked like amazing timing because it happened to be just weeks before the coronavirus crisis. We did not take risk off the table because we knew a coronavirus crisis was coming, right? It's what you don't see. So I don't think if there's reason to be worried, it's inflation, interest rates, or taxes. It's the thing I don't know. And you'd say, well, Mark, your job is to know it. I, you can't, right? But I think the job is to be thoughtful about accepting you don't know it, looking for it, responding when it happens, and making sure clients are, are, are pre-positioned for that eventuality. Because what we know is markets go down every so often for any or no reason at all. But on these specific things, the pace of rate interest of, of um, interest rates going up has increased so far this year, right? So this chart, the big one, is just December of 2019 through now, right? Prior to the coronavirus crisis, 10-year Treasury yields were getting close to 2%. They collapsed to 
half a percent during the crisis. And basically, for the most part, since post-election, November, they started to move up much quicker and they were at about 1.7. Today, they're south of 1.6, okay? So if you just look at that chart, you go, wow, there's been a really big move in interest rates, right? All the way down and coming all the way back up. But I would caution you, look at this chart, which is the same chart, but not just looking at that the short 15 month period of time. It's looking back to 1979. And for those of you who are investing or alive then or buying a home, whatever, you remember mortgage rates were 15, 20% and you could get 15, 20% at the bank. Inflation was also 15, 20%. And for the better part of the last 40 years, rates have been going down. And there is a generation of investors who work on Wall Street that have only seen treasuries you know, south of two, 3%. That's not the real world. And what I worry about is that people are getting a little overly worried about this chart going to two or two and a half, which in a narrow view could be scary. And if your whole career has been, you know, an interest rate sub two and a half, three percent, you go, oh my God, we're getting to two and a half or three. Like this is nuts. But in any greater construct, it's not. Now we can have a smart debate and conversation about whether interest rates are going to be structurally lower for longer. And I think there's a lot of validity to having that conversation. My point on this chart would be if interest rates go from one five to two, the economic cycle isn't over, right? It will have an impact on certain companies. It will definitely have an impact on certain stocks, but I don't think everything I told you, you, you should throw out because interest rates get to two on a 10 year. And I'll also tell you the market is now assuming inflation is gonna be over 2% in five years. I, again, I, I don't find that to be a wildly compelling story. If you look at from 2002 to 2020, on the left, five-year forward inflation expectations, Sometimes inflation expectations have gotten up to three and they've been as low as one. In my view, that's a pretty reasonably tight range and nothing that I find you know, terribly alarming. Um, the challenge is gonna be though, if you watch this data over the next quarter or two, the numbers are gonna be all over the place because of what I talked about before. We're gonna do year over year comparisons versus last year and last year's numbers are a mess. Right, so you could see an inflation number next month and May and June and July that are gonna lead you to the wrong conclusion. So one of the things our chief economist talks about is everyone wants to get the answer on inflation and interest rates. And everyone wants to look at the data to, to get that answer. Basically the next five, six months of data are useless. And the Fed has also basically admitted as such. So our view is that the Fed is likely to maintain policy rates near zero and keep printing money until we get through this period of time where comparisons are, are sort of worthless and they can start to regroup and say, okay, we're through this period of time where our comparisons are nuts. That'll probably be the fourth quarter of this year. They can compare it to last year's fourth quarter and say, hey, where are we? So everyone wants an answer. Everyone's you know, grasping for data. And I would say we're, we're willing to say the data is kind of not all that helpful right now. And don't jump to any big conclusions. I, I think the market will overshoot or undershoot based on an inflation number in the next month or two. And my answer and our firm's answer will be, doesn't matter, okay? So I would say kind of keep calm through this period of time. That said, I would say the vast majority of our clients, especially those who are approaching or in retirement already have inflation protection in their portfolios in the form of inflation sensitive bonds and in the form of real estate 
and real assets, commodities, et cetera. Um, if you have that, we would tell you you're already prior protected and we're doing things within the bond portfolio to even manage that further. If you think you're really exposed to inflation and that tends to be people who are in retirement or just about to be and don't have any inflation protection, we should have that conversation. And then we have to think about how much is right because think about the ways you build inflation protection are not literally, but they're almost like insurance for inflation. You don't want to have too much insurance unless you really think inflation is going to be a huge issue. Taxes, um, they're likely to go up. They're likely to go up for two reasons. One, they're about as low as they've ever been now. There's kind of only one direction to go. And now we've seen Biden's proposals, which are to increase them. There's a lot of data on this chart. I'll, I'll just tell you kind of the broad stroke answers. One is look, we don't know what will ultimately be legislated. This shows what's proposed. As you know, in Washington, DC, there are proposals. They go through an alphabet soup of committees. It goes through a sausage grinder and some legislation comes out of it. We're not in a position today to tell you what that would be. We are thinking a ton about it and how we would respond in portfolios. And there'll be lots of different ways for specific clients that will have to deal with that. But the current proposals are long-term capital gains rates right now are at 23.8%. Biden's proposal would take that up to 43.4. More on that down the road. And, and if you're really sensitive about this, we can talk about that offline. That's a big deal. And that would change how we think about trading in portfolios, both this year and going forward. For taxpayers with income over 400,000, the top tax rate goes up to 39.6, where it used to be. Deductions and fees limitations and all this really boring tax stuff will be limited. There's also a proposed payroll tax of 12.4%. And the elimination of the SALT deduction cap is a question mark. That is, so what used to happen is if you were in a um, high tax state, well, any state that pays tax, but in particular, if you're in a place like New York or New Jersey or, Los or California, you pay a lot in state tax. That was a credit on your federal tax return. So it lowered your federal tax due. That was eliminated under Trump. That's why people in, in high state tax jurisdictions, a lot of them saw their federal tax go up. There's a debate as to whether or not Biden would put that deduction back in. Don't know the answer. Okay. Corporate tax rates are also under the proposal set to go from 21 to 28%. A lot of this, as you can see in the points below, is, is wrapped up in the infrastructure bill. I, I, I don't know where any of this will pass. I, I've worked in DC many years ago, and I would tell you it's very, very hard to forecast how things will come out in DC. Um, the way we're thinking about it, though, on the bottom is consensus expectations are for an 8% to S&P, 8% hit to S&P earnings due to the higher tax rates. So corporate tax rates go up. That would hurt the money you could pay to your shareholders. We call it 8% hit to earnings. But there we think would be a 4% boost to revenue due to all the fiscal spending. So it's, it's negative, right? All these taxes hit. It's negative. I'm not going to pretend it's not but we don't think it's enough to ruin the otherwise good story. Now you could have, you know, like an accumulation of punishment, right? If it's taxes and inflation um, and interest rates and this and that and trade, you know, it can turn, right? It doesn't have to be the one big thing, but these things alone don't seem to change the story for us. What is interesting to us is this cyclical rotation. And the question we get is, is it for real? And the cyclical rotation is really about what types of stocks are doing well. 
in our view, economic fundamentals support a cyclical expansion, so maintain the exposure. So what does that mean? You have heard on these webinars before, lots of conversation about the market's doing okay in 2020, but really it's a handful of really big, large cap tech stocks, the FANGs, Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Nvidia, you could add to that Tesla, you could add to that Peloton, all the kind of sexy names you heard about that were doing great and the rest of the stock market was being left behind. That has materially changed. And it, that hadn't just been going on for a quarter or a year. Those types of stocks are traditionally known as growth stocks. They're the light blue on the chart. When you go back to 2011, if we think about growth, US value, the size of companies, non-US stocks, the light blue of growth, basically for the decade of the 2010s, one, like 70% of the time. There has been a major shift in 2021, and it really started in November of last year. Growth has now lagged, and value companies, the ones more economically sensitive, and who have not participated in the, the big increases in the rebound from the latter part of last year, have really started to take off. There's been a real big change in who's leading the market from here. I, I try to break it out more on this cross asset return dashboard. There's a lot on this chart. I, I think where we're highlighting is, is probably the most interesting. The initial bounce from the bottom, US growth versus US value. US growth was up 40%. US value stocks were up 19. So if you owned US stock, you were up. But if you owned US growth, you did great. Our growth portfolio did amazing. In the cyclical rotation, November, right? Post-election, post-vaccine coming out, starting to think about 2021. Growth is only up 16. I mean, only is a silly thing to say, but only up 16, value up 31%. If you look year to date, 2021, growth had been flat through the first quarter. Value was up 11. That is a big shift, okay? International has started to close the gap with the US, although that has waned in the last few weeks. What I also think is interesting on this chart is, you know, there are a lot of people focus appropriately on their bond portfolio. It probably doesn't get enough press. People are worried about interest rates and inflation and what's it going to mean to my bond portfolios. If you own bonds and municipal bonds in your accounts with us, and you should in your personal accounts, bonds have held in through this whole period of time. Um, U.S. Treasuries are different, right? The pure U.S. Treasuries have lost money in 2021 and in the rotation post the election. That is not true of municipals, and it depends in IRA accounts. But in our IRA accounts, most of our clients own not just treasuries, but a whole swath of different types of taxable bonds. And those have held in better than what you might think through this interest rate environment. And what I often tell clients is, you know, if your bonds are down three or 4%, it's often in a period of time where the blue, your equities are, are just taking off. So it's not that anyone wants to be down, you know, three or 4% in a bond portfolio, by the way, your munis are not, but some taxable bond portfolios are, but you're willing to accept that if at that same period of time, your stocks are up double digits. And by the way, your bonds are down in value because interest rates have gone up a little bit, which means that going forward, the bonds will pay you more income. And the vast majority of our clients love the fact that their bonds pay them income. And the more income down the road, the happier they'll be. So what's the advice? It's a bit, um, broken record here, it's to not run into the things that you thought were doing great. And, and we, we didn't do that, which is great. Some of these charts have started to normalize as you see from the top. 
international versus US is still super attractive to us. It's gotten a little less attractive. It's not the 99th percentile, meaning like the most attractive ever, but at 97th percentile, still a really good bet. Small cap versus large cap. Small cap has done a lot better than large cap this year. There is a really long way to go. And value versus growth, as much as value outperformed growth so far this year and, and since November, it's got a decade to make up for. So I don't think just because value has done better than growth the last 12 or 15 or 20 weeks means that's over. We've got like five to 10 years of growth beating value to normalize. And what would continue that on the top left, continued economic acceleration, some level of slightly higher interest rates, some level of slightly higher inflation levels, and importantly, the fiscal policy commitments. Okay. So where does it all come together? Where and how should an investor put money to work today? Great answer by me, it depends. Um, for some, if you've saved up money, I am a believer in just continuing to regularly add to your asset allocation, not trying to get overly tactical about this, but, but what you find is if you have time and you're regularly adding to your portfolio over five or 10 years, you will be stunned by the asset growth that occurs, the, the money in your pocket that you make by just doing something simple as regularly sending in money and not trying to time it. And for others who are thinking about really how do I take really smart risk in this reopening of the economy? There can be some opportunities you might want to take advantage of. I, I would just say that to that earlier question of markets have gone up so much, why would I invest now? If you have time, it's not really about the moment you invest. It's about the fact that you are investing because most of the time, I shouldn't say most, 43% of the time since 1949, the market, the S&P 500, is at or near its high. You'll see this chart goes up over time. If the chart is going to go up over time, you kind of almost always have to be at a high, right? It's not a EKG chart where markets go up, then they come down, then they go up, then they come down, and there's a middle point. If that's how markets worked, when you invested would be critical because you're always going to wind up in the middle, right? So it's, I don't want to buy at the top, I'm coming back to the middle. I want to buy at the bottom, it's coming back to the middle. Here, Markets grow for a whole host of reasons. And so I just want to align myself with the one thing I know. Markets go up over time. And the timing of that isn't as critical. And to sort of belabor that point, the average return investing equal amounts at each market top. Okay, So if you just keep buying at what you would say is the wrong time, I just keep buying at the top of the market. And this is since World War II. You earn 10.4%. The return on the market's 11.3. So yes, you give up almost 1% by always buying at quote unquote the wrong time, but you make 10.4 instead of 11.3 by always doing it at the wrong time. Meanwhile, cash earned 4.3 over that 80 year period of time. Cash today earns virtually nothing. So I think if you have time horizon, putting your money in your asset allocation, stocks, bonds, whichever, is the right thing to do. I will tell you, return expectations are modest. Um, this is just for indexes. This isn't what we think will deliver for clients, but our moderate portfolio is looking to run return about 4% today. An aggressive stock portfolio is in the five, 6% range. So it's lower than it has been in the past, for sure, with probably more volatility. And, and the reason, and people say like, well, why would you be so negative on this chart? 
look, today stocks aren't cheap, right? And there's not a ton of profit margin. So it's hard to make a, a it's hard to make a case where you would say, I, I feel comfortable saying it's most likely stocks will return 10% a year over the next 10 years. They could, and I can articulate why and how they could, but I think it's hard to say that that's my you know base case, not my worst case, not my best, my, my average case. And for bonds, rates are low today. They're getting better. And rates will slowly rise over time. So starting here today, it's, it's hard to make a case that like, wow, I'm going to do amazing in bonds, right? So I think these numbers are going to adjust forward as we move forward. But sitting here today at this moment, return expectations are muted. Okay. One thing on bonds, because um, a lot of people not only own bonds, but think about bonds versus cash. And, and you know, cash rates are still virtually nothing at the bank. This is our 12-month expectation of bond portfolio returns, just for a, like a static portfolio. So this isn't how we try and capture different changes in the credit market interest rate curve, but this is just a base case scenario. So for an intermediate bond portfolio, if the 10-year treasury stayed where it was when we ran this chart, we think munis would return 1.28%. That's a heck of a lot better than cash and that's tax-free. You know, pre-tax, that's just about over 2% for most investors. If the 10-year treasury goes up to two, that's probably the high range for, for most analysts, we think munis would return about 0.6. Okay, again, that's tax-free, so about 1% taxable. And you have all the liquidity in the world. If rates come down, they have a bit since we ran this chart, but if they came all the way down to 1.25, we think munis would return 2%, again, tax-free. That's before all the positioning and yield curve analysis and trading we do in the portfolio to try and increase that number by, call it half to 1%. But this is just a static portfolio, municipal forecast. If you said, I'm really worried about rates going to two, we still think you make money in the next 12 months in munis and better than cash. If yields stay flat, we think you're somewhere in the one and a half to 2% range with us, which tax-free is still a lot better than cash. Last chart, there is a range of opportunities to think about if you want to be opportunistic today. You don't have to be. I'm not making the case you should be. But if you're just trying to think about well, where do I want to be on the risk curve, all the way on the left is things like municipals, high-grade fixed income bonds, right? better than cash. Going all the way out to things like bonds with, excuse me, stocks with options around them so that I have some expectation of what the top I could do, how well I could do on my stock portfolio, but I also have some downside protection. So think of that as, as um, stocks that sort of have return expectations built into them, to hedge funds, to maybe the most attractive thing on the chart, and it's pretty straightforward, value equities, small cap. There's a range of ways to think about capital. And if you're really trying to think about the cash issue, talk to us, but Amanda and I did a, a whole podcast on it last month and we can send you that, just about how do I think about cash and how do I think about when and how I put cash to work and where I put it to work. Well, I went longer than I expected, so I apologize for that. I hope some of you are still awake and alive. Um, if you have any questions, obviously feel free to reach out directly to Amanda or myself. Um, I look forward to hearing from you, hopefully in the coming months or post the summer, we can all see each other again soon. Um, if markets stay quote unquote normal, we'll do another one of these in three months. If things get crazy, I'll do it as dictated and needed. Um, until then though, I hope to see you all and uh, stay safe and I will be in touch soon. Thank you.